Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Welcome back, everybody. We are carrying on the theme of, of leadership and team building and HR and all of these wonderful things with our next guest, my good friend, Chris Cataldi, Cataldi from uh, Genvid Student. What, what are you now? Genvid Holdings now. My, my apologies. Um, if you aren't familiar, this is the company that took fun Nika that used to drop F-bombs on the conference all the time and turned her into nice Nika who doesn't allow to cuss on our show anymore. But with, <laughs> with all that in mind, Chris, I'm going to let you take over and then everybody just pop your questions in the chat. Uh, this is going to be excellent, especially for a lot of smaller indie teams that aren't sure how to handle company culture and HR stuff, but it's all you. Great. Thanks, Jay. And I'll, I'll take that um, for what it's worth that I've somehow managed to not uh, prevent or prevent Nika from cursing. Um, HR has asked me to keep in the line of not cursing myself on stream. So I will uh, I'll disappoint some of you there. I apologize. Um, so um, when Jay asked me to consider talking at, at the indie business, uh, for this year, he said, do something about HR. And I said, well, we do a lot at, at HR at Genvid, and I'll talk a little bit about my um, professional career a little bit later, but HR is something that I've always thought super important for every company because every company has people in it. Uh, and you need to think about people because you know it's, it's intrinsically important. Um, and one of the problems when you talk about HR though, is it, easily becomes either platitudes or you get in the weeds. And for people who don't feel themselves to be comfortable with HR, um, you know, you start tuning things out. Uh, and because I had the benefit of really being an HR practitioner early in my career, I, I see it kind of holistically and everywhere. I see the world as a carpenter does, um, you know, where everything is, what can I do with wood? I see the world with what HR can do for companies, even though my official capacity at Genvid currently is the chief operating officer, which is I have a, a very strong kind of revenue responsibility. I have a, a strong kind of general strategy responsibility. But even then, it's only as good as our ability to to kind of channel uh, it through through our, our people. Hey, Chris. Yes. Move your mic a little closer because we're catching we're catching you in and out. Yep. Okay. How's this? All right. Much better. I will bring up the game. Maybe that'll make a difference. So let me know. So 
with that, uh, I'll talk. Uh, my talk today is a, a little bit more about uh, kind of soft uh, skills, uh, or rather, the soft components of, of culture and, and uh, how it was shaped by my over a decade year, uh, decade uh, experience in Japan. So, um, and how we at Genvid um, are, you know, using those. So, with that, let's go. Um, a little bit about the, the agenda. We're going to talk a little bit about me, a little bit about Genvid, because you should know the kind of company um, I, I represent the kind of product that it is that we do, and then jumping in into the nitty gritty of HR and and, and how uh, we think about it in a holistic capacity. Uh, and then dive into my, my time in Japan, uh, what, what I did there and how um, I came away with a whole bunch of takeaways that we, we are very intrinsic within, within how we do HR in, um, in Genovit and hopefully you'll find something compelling there. Um, next, uh, so here, this is me. Um, my name is Chris. I am uh, one of the founders. About six and, and a half years ago, we founded Genvid, um, and me and three other co-founders uh, went independent from from the Square Enix group, where we ran their cloud gaming division, and wanted to build a new kind of genre that took uh, the best um, facets of, of cloud uh, and you know the unlimited unlimited resources of, of render. Uh, and creating new experiences for 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 players, and wanted to expand it to everyone in the world who wanted to interface with the game, but who may not have the ability to to spend the time to keep playing those games. Um, as a founder, when we were four people, um, we all wear wear very varying hats along the way. I've been in charge of, of data and analytics. I've been in charge of marketing for the entire company. In charge of events. I've uh, been in charge of HR. Uh, and I've been in charge and continue to be in charge of business development and the technical evangelism because uh, we make a set of core technology. Who is Genvid? Well, our, our core mission in, in one sentence is to you know foster and enable community-driven entertainment as we define it. Um, we have 12 locations all over the world. Um, I'm based here in New York. Uh, we have, I think, just under 10 people here in New York. The vast majority of our people are Everywhere else, uh, we have about 40-ish people in Montreal. We have an um, equal number of people spread probably between uh, Northern California and Southern California. We have a growing office in Washington uh, State. We, we're, we're, we're everywhere. Um, one of my um, hats is also to be the managing director of our Tokyo office. Uh, we have a CEO there as well who um, joined us in January. I'm the sole director of our, of our UK subsidiary as well as our EU subsidiary where we have um, combined just under 10 people, um, and we're everywhere. So we're a global company, six and a half years old, 150 people. Um, to date, we've announced that we've raised more than 100 and, uh, $150, 160000000 million um, from some of the, we think, the best investors in the space, um, which are predominantly in institutional investors, meaning people who are, their main job is to be investors. Um, and as well as what we call strategics, who are you know the the brands that you're aware of, like the, the Samsungs and the Docomos uh, of the world, who are, are doing this not necessarily just for strategic, rather for for um, financial um, up uh, upside, but also they they see a strategic uh, alignment with what it is we do and what they want to foster in their own businesses. We're very fortunate to also have some of the best advisors in the world. Um, and advisors at Genvid are 
really key to our culture because they don't just advise like often in startups you'll have an advisor and 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 they're they're there for you when you need them um but you should you know poke them sparingly because you know they're not necessarily they're very very busy people when it comes to our advisors uh, whether it's matthew ball uh jt gleason matthew ball's one of the foremost uh, thought leaders on, on the metaverse he's just released a book uh that's on the washington uh sorry wall street journals uh top 10 you should check it out if you're interested in anything metaverse related i'm sure i have a copy of it somewhere here um we also have jt gleason who is the first engineer at, at twitch um he's now this, the cto of, of a web3 gaming company uh jt is brilliant we have cindy holland who is a longtime head of uh, uh first party content at netflix uh, we have anna sweet who's the um the ceo of bad robot games and we have Yoichi Wada, my former boss at, at Square Enix, who was the longtime CEO of Square Enix and then the CEO of uh, Shimmer Technologies. And all of our advisors are very hands-on uh, and you know they're very core to kind of shaping our thinking of the space. Our vision when you bring it out a little further um, at Genvit is, a, you know, at the end of the day, we, we know that people love spectacle, they love live events, and more importantly, they love being part of those events. Uh, and when what does it mean to be a part of it? It means when your presence matters and when your participation matters. And, and when we talk about events, I'll talk in the next slide what that means, but um, there are lots of opportunities for people from the video game industry to think about how we disrupt digital events using best uh, practices of games, but actually porting them to a non-gaming um, space. We have two companies within the Genvid umbrella. There's Genvid Technologies, which makes the core uh, technology, uh, SDK and, and services around that. And we have Genvid Entertainment, which is our first party publisher that actually publishes some of our titles. So what is this genre we're talking about? Uh, you know, put it in bluntly, it's kind of a Venn diagram intersection of two, you know, very big genres, video gaming and kind of like a TV show. And we call this a mile, a massively interactive live event. And so it's got a, on the, and when you think of video games, you're very much high cognitive load sitting forward. You are second to second, frame to frame, inputting in, you're getting feedback directly. You have agency uh, in the video game. When you think of a TV show, it's much more sit back, um, lower cognitive load. You get to choose what you're paying attention to. You might be paying attention to that and three other things. Um, you may be looking at one character versus the other. And more importantly, it's proceeding, it's progressing the irrelevant of whether or not you're pressing any input. Um, a mile is kind of like the hybrid of both. Uh, and the mile stands for massively interactive live event. Um, and so if, conceptually speaking, you know, we, we, the, the, the most, imagine you're in the physical world and you're watching sports, right? You're in, in a venue, you're able to go and be part of that excitement. Uh, we know that there's an idea of being a home field uh, member or you're in a weight. Uh, field, the team performance is different and the audience makes a big difference about that. When we're watching shows uh, on, on your traditional streaming platforms like a Netflix, or we're watching even uh, your you know current generation um, platforms like, like Twitch, what does our presence do that wouldn't be there if you weren't? Well, you can chat if you're on Twitch and you can kind of be part of the, the, the Twitch chat. Um, we think they should be do a little bit more. When you're at a stadium, you're able to pick your seat, you're able to cheer at certain times, you're able to get the attention of the people at home, you're able to go in the jumbotron. When we think about what digital streaming can do for audiences, we think there's a lot 
you know, left on the table. Uh, and it can be something as simple as finding out more information about what you're watching, being able to click on an elements of the UI and see who is that character. Oh, that's what that character is. Oh, what did they just do? What is the likelihood of them being the, the you know, the killer, whatever, if you're watching a, a horror or a murder mystery, right? Things that should be there, uh, but we don't currently have that. Um, but also being able to focus on outcomes. And up until now, you know, when we think of interactive and we think of like streaming, we think about like voting for outcomes or, you know, um, there, there are multiple, um, you know, one of the things people think about a lot is like Bandersnatch um, and, you know, choosing which of the, the directions the, the story may go, which is really good. But what about something more second to second, right? When you see, you know, two race cars uh, going uh, around a circuit, right? And being able to put in an obstacle in the middle of a race car and seeing who of the players actually, you know, respond the right way to that, right? It's not necessarily about the Hunger Games um, thinking of let's throw in a health potion to player B. It's about let's, you know, augment the rules of the game and see what the, the player base does to ch change that. Um, and by doing that, we're not only creating new content for players because you now have a dynamic set of, of, of um, you know, content for them to always be consuming, but we also have this idea of people at home who aren't players at that point on any device who haven't installed anything can actually be interactive viewers. And then there are people who are watching those as well. And you think of this, um, not of the game industry, but think of it again uh, in professional sports, think of players as the people on the field, interactive viewers as people in the stands and spectators as people at home. And there's an entire service design around that. So um, some examples of some of the product we put out We've got Rival Peak, which came out in 2020, um, and it's a, it was a three-month interactive television show where we put 12 AI contestants in the middle of the digital Pacific Northwest, and as a viewer, you could watch any of them, and every second of your viewership contributed towards their ultimate outcome, whether or not they stayed on week to week, whether or not they um, did their you know got their goals. Uh, we also had a weekly show that was hosted by Will Wheaton, where he would go and do a recap. He would speak to the characters, were fully rigged uh, and voice acted, uh, and would uh, create more lore that you could actually um, kind of consume. Uh, and that was very popular. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, in terms of, we have two live products right now, uh, both currently on Facebook. One is Pac-Man Community, um, which is the most interactive Pac-Man game we think ever made. You can play single player Pac-Man. You can play four person cooperative Pac-Man. You could make Pac-Man mazes that the community can then vote on and you can play them. You can play them with your friends. You can play tournaments with them. You can play them with streamers. And when we say streaming, you can actually watch an interactive attract mode. We wanted to bring the arcade experience to Pac-Man uh, and bring that Pac-Man arcade experience to everyone in the world. So when you're at an arcade, for example, in Japan and you walk by, You'll you see the arcade in attract mode, right? Um, when we're at home, we don't really get to see that. Um, we have an interactive attract mode where you can watch a game in session and actually cheer on and power up the Pac-Man or the ghosts, depending on on who you want to do at any given time. Uh, and that actually helps unlock community achievements, but will up, uh, unlock more features within the game for for people who make mazes and people who want to play Pac-Man. Um, most recently, we have Walking Dead: Last Mile, which is a uh, really cool show that we're doing um, with Skybound and Pipeworks for, for also on Facebook, where 
We're in. The, we just launched Act Two right now, um, and you can be a member of one of two factions who are in the frozen North, uh, and you know help dictate the outcome. Um, I will show a really brief video. Um, to kind of give an example of what this looks like. The Walking Dead Last Mile is a new innovative gaming experience that puts you, the fans, in charge. You'll meet an all-new cast of characters in a frigid Alaskan village and influence their stories. But be careful. The decisions you make could be life or death for this small community. Pitch in to help the community or sabotage it all and watch the drama unfold in real time. And then join me, Yvette Nicole Brown, as I host an interactive stream every Monday where I will talk with special guests, show never-before-seen cinematic clips, and reveal the outcomes of your decisions. The story begins on July 11th. Make sure to follow The Walking Dead Last Mile on Facebook right now so you don't miss a day of the action. Remember, your survival depends on you. So that was our launch trailer. We have a whole bunch of things. You can check it out. Um, there. So with that, um, you were told at the beginning that this is going to be talking about, you know, uh, how uh, generally we think about culture. And there's a lot of uh, inspiration that the founders took from both working for Japanese companies, Jacob, my co-founder uh, and the CEO, and I both spent over a decade in Japan, respectively. Um, if you've ever been or seen a live sports show or any kind of live show really in Japan, you'll notice that the audience is as big of a spectacle creation creator as the the theoretically the people on the stage. And so if you go to be part of the audience, to to witness the audience and kind of feel that. And so our experience in Japan is is intrinsic, is 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 pivotal to the kind of company we've made, the product we continue to make. Uh, and not just the product itself, but also how we think about how we lead the company and how you know we 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 deal with HR and how we deal with everyday kind of corporate culture. Um, having been in country for so long, we have lots of experiences. Uh, in some cases, um, we believe that Japan, be because there's so much kind of focus to, to detail, uh, and, and when it comes to our industry specifically, there's you know, obviously, I don't explain anyone here, the, the, the importance of Japan to the video game industry. But um, in some cases, you know, there's something called Galapagos syndrome where it's so hyper, um, localized, it might not be uh, good for a global um, audience, um, and, but in many cases it is. And so, you know, uh, when I say weird, I, I mean uh, uh, unique. Uh, and so some cases, you know, uh, my experience in Japan, um, I brought over to GenVid and I, I think it applies, but it, you know, we can never really be fully sure. But in many cases, we, I, I do believe that uh, Japan is on the cutting edge of some of some very pivotal areas, and we try to uh, you know learn from their best practices integrated here. Um, I also have a corgi; he's really cute. You should see him in person if you ever see me in New York. I will show you my corgi. Anyway, so we think of culture. Um, uh, for a long time, one of my jobs was to talk about corporate culture, and uh, the the one of the most intuitive constructs is the iceberg model. Um, some of this might be clear, um, you know. Uh, old hat for for some of you, but if for those who are new to this, um, there's the off-sided uh, statistic that only 10% of the iceberg or less is uh, at you know is visible above the surface, and so you're dealing with 90% below it, 
um, which isn't seen. And the thing that's going to hit if you're trying to navigate around an iceberg, it's not the, the top of the iceberg you should be worried about. It's the rest of it. That's where the mass is. That's, you know, you have to be careful of it. Um, if we were to try to like apply that same model to culture, um, whether it's organizational culture or, or country culture, uh, you have the espoused things you can see, uh, the practices, the behaviors, the corporate policies. And those are very much shaped or buoyed by underlying perceptions of the individuals or their leadership, the attitudes that shape how we uh, grok those perceptions, the underlying beliefs and the values that shape those. And the further down the iceberg you go, the, the less even uh, conscious the individuals who make up that culture are of those, right? Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is trying to showcase some of the perceptions, attitudes, and beliefs, stuff that usually isn't talked a whole lot about, that if, that directly shape some of our practices, behaviors, and policies. And so the, the pattern is going to be talking a little bit about the stuff underneath and then showing some of what is observable. But there's always going to be some, some loss, right? So it's going to often look superficial when I show you the example. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll address it if you have any questions in Q and Q&A. Those are in, internal um, uh, factors. The iceberg isn't an ocean, and the ocean also shapes the iceberg, right? And so, in so much as Genvid or any company's um, culture is concerned, we also have external factors like the industry you're in, the macro trends there, the history of both that um, that that individual um, enterprise, but also the other, you know. Um, the history of the cult of, of the the company you're in the, the history of the culture you're in uh, sorry the country you're in etc um, the kind of partners you deal with the, your customers and of course your competitors all come and kind of shape and ch chisel away at at the at the iceberg um, as well so also affect your culture and how you respond to them so I'm going to get into kind of HR practitioner mode right now uh, and when I first got into HR in 2007. Um, this is one of the kind of uh, constructs that we had at Mitsubishi Corporation, which is, I'll talk a little bit about my, my um, professional career in the next slide. But for people who are just starting out in the industry or starting your own company, starting your own studio, I think it's never too early to think about HR as a practice and to have some familiarity with terms. Um, and for me, in, right now, we have a seven-person HR team at Genvid who report to an H, a VP of HR report to me. This is also kind of how we shape HR um, topics. So first is, I'll start from the, the right-hand side and kind of go around the circle. Um, we have recruiting. Recruiting is kind of your, your, your sales for HR, right? It's your front office. It's the people whose job it is to go attract um, and then, you know, actually convert uh, new employees, right? Um, the type of people you usually, your recruiters are really kind of sales-ish uh, people uh, and they're trying to, you know, have it, they have like a sales sheet. They're thinking about, you know, what is, what do you want to sell a, a, a good, uh, you know, to, to a potential, you know, customer, in this case, uh, an employee. Um, one of the things we think about when we think of, of sales is selling the product to the right person. Right, it's not you don't want anyone to buy your product because you know you have long-term problems if, if the customer's expectations are different from what you have to sell, and so also with recruiting you want to sell the company to the right people. So understanding the kind of target audience is really important for them. Uh, it's not just about 
quantity. It's also about quality of the sale of the company. To, to put it in kind of like brutalistic HR, uh, I guess, uh, company uh, jargon. If you are a founder, you are all of these things, including the salesperson uh, for uh, the product that is your um, company, right? That please, you know, join us uh, and, and make us stronger. Um, that's there. Next is compensation and benefits. This is kind of seen as a esoteric HR practitioner kind of alchemy thing that most people, uh, if HR, if you're a, ever worked at a big company um, and they were doing HR right, you didn't have to ever talk to these people other than be told how to run your 401k. But this is kind of like the, the framework underpinning of like, you know, um, responsible HR. And, and these are the people who are making sure that salaries are, are calculated correctly and competitively against market. They're there to make sure that, you know, the company is offering competitive fringe benefits like retirement, 401k, making sure that we're getting a good deal uh, for our for our customers as well as the company on things like insurance, um, et cetera, right? Um, this is kind of like uh, operations, uh, making sure people get paid, right, uh, as well. This is compensation benefits. Next is performance management, and this is sometimes um, overly summarized as, as uh, evaluations. Um, and the main thinking here is the company has goals, individuals have goals. Performance management is about creating a streamlined um, set of communication between those two parties to make sure that the individual feels that they're productive, and know where they are being productive so that they continue to be that and keep challenging themselves. And also if there are areas that they need to improve to be able to identify those in a constructive manner. Um, when, for those of us in games, we know achievements are important because we, we like getting positive feedback. And when we're not doing well, we also wanna know what we wanna do better. This is very you know, basic game design. Um, this is also true for boring work stuff. So you know, creating performance. Um, management, managing performance. Next is training development. This is, I think, um, most people are are used to this term. It's about going to a training. It's about stuff that's not on the job. It's not a function of your nine to five. Not your, it's sometimes called off JT as opposed to on the job training or OJT. Um, and it's about once you've identified you know areas that might need improvement, making sure that you have or offering programs or, or resources for, for skills up for both the current and as well as potential future roles that the individual staff member may want to have. And this isn't true for you. You as a founder as well, if you are one, you should never underestimate the importance of structured learning. Last is career management. And this is a, creating a dialogue uh, about uh, job expectations, not just now, but in the next three to five, 10 years in terms of a vector and making sure that your daily, weekly, monthly, uh, quarterly, annual performance and what you're working on is contributing towards that. Think of it as portfolio management for your experiences and how you're going to you know, grow into whatever role it is and having a conversation about what kind of job an individual may want in five years and do they have the, the, the skill set and more importantly, the experience, are they getting the opportunity to, just, to, to grow to, to go towards that? Um, and at the center of all of this is engagement. And this is the daily, uh, you know, the, the glue that um, connects the HR practice to the rest of the company. And this is, could be done via one-on-ones. This could be done via planning various 
activities, um, just being there for office hours, you, you name it. That's kind of like the, the daily there. So all these together is how I think about HR. This is, um, you know, kind of textbook-ish. You're not going to necessarily find this one-to-one -one in many textbooks, but this is, uh, I think, a good constructive way of thinking about it. Um, so talking about my career, the mass majority of it, I mean, all of it before Genvid was in Japan. Um, in 2005, I graduated uh, undergrad, went to the JET program. For those of you who are familiar with the JET program, it's one of the longest uh, uh, grassroots in, um, international uh, relations and, and kind of um, international exchange programs. Um, it's run by the Japanese government. Um, and I spent two years in the middle of nowhere um, in a in a place called Niigata as a coordinator of international relations. My job was to be a uh, kind of uh, low-level diplomat to uh, help internationalize Japan and also help um, re represent Japanese interests abroad in so much as the specific locality I was in, which was like this really cool area. I'll talk about that in the next slide. Uh, after that, I worked for Mitsubishi Corporation for six and a half years. Mitsubishi Corporation is probably not the Mitsubishi you know. It's not the parent company of the Mitsubishi you know. It's, um, it's uh, both bigger than you think and probably not something you, you interface with. Um, it's in Japan, one of the, the top uh, Japanese multinationals. For the longest time, it was the business development company for all Mitsubishi companies. So their job was to go overseas and make business. So you'd have Mitsubishi Heavy Industries that makes ships or makes uh, turbines for power plants, or you'd have Mitsubishi Chemicals, whose job was to make chemical products. Uh, and they were manufacturers, right? Um, Mitsubishi Corporation's job was to go sell those to other businesses, governments, or in some cases, retail uh, to the consumer. Um, overseas. Selling is half the battle. Logistics of how you bring those chemicals over or how do you bring, um, uh, you know, a, a ship over, how do you deliver it, how do you deal with all those things, that was also a core competency within Mitsubishi Corporation. Uh, and so I worked at their head office in HR. Um, I did, at the time, overseas HR consulting. Um, I did uh, leadership development and, and entrepreneurship programs. And I also was kind of the de facto lead of their corporate philosophy um, tr uh, trainings um, for, for everyone. And this is both uh, within the group, there are about 60,000 people in the Mitsubishi Corporation group, um, of which about 7,000 are in Tokyo and I did HR for both within Japan and overseas. A um, lot of cool learnings there. Uh, You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash business.
also, after that, uh, went and worked for a small boutique company called Nutri Networks, which you've never heard of because it's only 10 people. Um, but their companies that they service in terms of clients um, were some of the biggest companies in the world. Your, your large tech companies that make cameras, make wearables, um, make very famous Japanese uh, foods. Uh, and our, our job there was to solve problems on the business units uh, level, which is a lot of Japanese companies have really cool technology and they're really good at making that technology, but marketing that technology may not be a strength of theirs. And so what does that mean? If you've got patents and you've got a cool way to make conductive rubber, uh, how do you make that into a product? What's the end user application of that that you can make, right? And so I did that for about a year and a half as a consultant. After that, I went and jumped in the game industry. So you'll you'll like, well, hey, up until now, there's no gaming in any of this, right? And so uh, I was very fortunate to, to because of my background, um, be get on the radar of, of a couple of executives at, at Square Enix who were at that time building a new um, vertical of cloud gaming. And Shinra Technologies was the name of that company and Shinra being the the evil company from Final Fantasy VII. I'm sure everyone is familiar with that. Um, Shiro Technologies wasn't evil. It was about creating new experiences by power of the infinite resource in the cloud. And my job there was to be head of strategy and kind of business development. And a lot of the the you know work we're doing at Genvid was based on the the many lessons we learned from our experiences at Shinra. And then at Genvid, I've already spoken a little bit about Genvid. Um, I'll skip that. And uh, I'm also am a, an associate professor at, at IE Business School, which is a business school based in Madrid where I teach about the video game industry and kind of evolution of business model. And that's kind of my career. So um, I'm from New York. I went to a specialized math and science high school. A lot of the people from my high school care more about their high school than when they went to college. So I'm going to put the fact that I went to that school in Stuyvesant, for those of you from New York, you know that. Um, I went to Stony Brook University, which is the State University of New York here in New York. I, I started as a comp sci major. I did a lot of comp sci, including my time in, in Chiba University as an um, undergrad exchange student. Um, I graduated history major because um, because of complications with transferring credits from one college to another. Um, anyone who's been in college has probably dealt with that. So I'm a history major who's done three and a half years of CompSat. Um, I went to IE in Madrid for my business school. And in terms of my Japanese direct experience, I have uh, N1, which is the highest level of Japanese language proficiency. I also have EQ, um, if you're familiar with GLPT, I have the highest level of business Japanese um, test score. I, I used to be a professional translator, um, both when I was on JET, uh, as well as, as Mitsubishi, as well as I was a Wada-san's translator, at, uh, interpreter uh, at Shinra, Wada-san being the CEO. Uh, and uh, I've also been a delegate to Japanese American Student Conference, which is like the, the longest running student conference in the world. It's been going back to 1934. And I was also a delegate to the Japanese market entry and expansion competition. I'm also one of their founding members of the alumni association, which is to say, I know a lot about Japan. Um, and this is important is why have I spent all this time talking about my, my bona fides? Well, because I'm going to talk about some fairly um, deep Japanese concepts that if you search for these online, you may find different uh, definitions. Uh, and I, and that's because there's a lot that's lost in translation, which is why I've titled this um, talk Found in Translation. So uh, as a former professional translator, I have accreditation in translation as well. Um, I'm going to say that 
trust me for some of these, um, even if you don't find it uh, online. Uh, first is this term WA. Um, some of you might have heard the term WA before. Um, it's often translated as harmony. Uh, harmony often, and when you think of Japan, you think of harmony, you think, oh, everything's kind of the same. And we, 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 we you know, um, melt down our differences so that we can, you know, be in, in harmony, right? Uh, the the actual kind of application of that term in Japan is not that. Uh, it's actually about having uniqueness of the of the subcomponent factors, but coming together in a resonant way to maximize the potential. So one of the all the photos I'm going to show are photos I've taken. Um, that's a this is a a picture of a a, a temple. Zen Buddhist temple in, in Kyoto called Yoanji. Um, it's got one of the more famous kind of Zen gardens, which is made up by the, all these pebbles. And you've got these moss islands and these got these giant in comparison rocks to represent boulders. When you're making a Zen garden, you're, you're both terraforming and not trying to overly adulter or change or alter the components, right? You're not um, polishing the pebbles, right? You're not making everything the same. You're actually putting things in a harmonious way so you can start seeing shapes and patterns, um, but you're, you're putting it together to create a, a, a transcendent whole, right? And, and this idea um, is something we've taken. So, so there's that as a general aesthetic. Um, in my experience in Japan, when I was on the JET program, I went to the middle of nowhere and I had to uh, both be the face of of being the different, being the foreigner, and and showing, you know, the the contrasting um, external, uh, you know, reality of, of being outside of Japan, but also um, being the insider and helping bridge that um, that cultural gap overseas. And so this is on the left hand side. That's me. I'm the only non Japanese person in that in that uh, picture. I went and hung out with kids in elementary school. Uh, a couple times a month. I was also, you know, one of the key people to help tourism. And that's me in the bottom right hand corner in my very, very Japanese office, uh, working fully in Japanese um, with a couple of pe people who were there from exchange from from China and, and from Korea as well. Um, but for the most part, we were working in the Japanese style. What I learned there is, again, there's this idea of harmony in Japan, which might give you this false impression of monoculture or uniformity. Um, but even if you look at dialects, if you look at, you know, dialects being a good um, um, way to, to, to observe culture, there are many, 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 many subcultures, not just like, you know, otaku culture or, or any of that or anime culture, but I mean like regional cultures. And these are not hidden. In Japan, when you're in Japan, people are always almost always speaking some element of the dialect that they're that they where they come from. Although you'll have this idea of Hyojin Go, this this kind of common language, they they wear their their regional differences on their sleeves, um, and it only kind of has to melt away when they're working towards a common goal or when they're overseas and they're Japanese. But like within Japan, they're not Japanese. They're from Kyoto or they're from Niigata, and and they have a very strong kind of culture, and they kind of come together to make this Japanese culture this kind of common Japanese culture, but within Japan, it's very kind of core to them. So um, at Genvid, again, we have 12 offices all over the world. 
we're making this brand new kind of genre, um, which means I can't go and steal people from a competitor. I'm not starting a new studio, so I can't go and steal people from a new. I, I have no cookie cutter um, path to success, which means I have to do the converse, right? I need to embrace the fact that I, I don't have a cookie cutter and I need to create a culture based on uh, getting people of like mind, but from whatever background is there um, to address this, this problem or this opportunity we found. Right. And, and one of the ways we do that is to um, highlight diversity. Uh, we don't make a big deal about talking about this necessarily, but we do a lot of it in practice. Um, and this is our diversity statement. We spent a long time thinking about that. We really do embrace it. And um, as being a former HR practitioner myself, I'm and a New Yorker, I'm extremely critical of when any company talks about anything um, because when they're talking about it, it means there's usually a problem that they're trying to correct via talking. Um, it took us a long time to actually publish any kind of diversity statement because we were so focused on doing it that we didn't want to get over our skis and, and look like we were signaling something we weren't doing. But uh, you know, I think we, we do a fairly good job there. And again, it's about bringing all of these diverse backgrounds, viewpoints, industry experience, you name you name the the the, the modifier um, together, but coming to a, a resonance to create something new, right? And that's we're doing that via harmony. That's an idea there. Uh, this is both on the job and also um, you know in terms of how we we spend some of our resources outside of work. Um, we're big fans of diversity initiatives like the, what the IGDA Foundation does on, on their diversity gaming professionals program. Uh, there's a um, very strong community um, known as the Game Industry Gathering, or GIG for short, that kind of came up during the pandemic. You know, we're, to date, one of the biggest supporters of um, their in-person events. Um, we've done multiple programs with the New York Video Games Critic Circle, which is a um, nonprofit that is looking to foster video game um, industry access to under um under-resourced communities here in New York. And so we've done um, various design programs with them using our products like Pac-Man Community, um, big fans of, of them. And, and also, we, we, when we, when, even when we do marketing, um, we also work with um, what we think are great um, uh, organizations like Latinx and Gaming to do uh, programs like what we call Pac-Man Community Cares, which is bringing in um, you know, cultural aspects or, 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 or ethnic aspects to a, a, a contest. And, 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 you know, I think we've done some cool stuff there. Next, Ba. Ba is place in Japanese if you do a direct translation. Um, but when you, when you talk to a Japanese business person, what they mean when they mean Ba is like meeting the expectations of that place. Long story short, you know, in, in the West, we have this idea of hats. So I'm wearing my CEO hat or I'm wearing my father hat or I'm wearing my son hat or I'm wearing my whatever, you know, a New Yorker hat. Or We all have kind of these different, you can think of them as personas, but not necessarily in the union sense. Um, we all have unique roles. Um, and in a specific venue or situation, we're expected to act in a certain way. Sometimes that way that we act is very different. So how I act as a, for example, C COO, when I'm this, you know, uh, approving budget is different from when I'm acting um, as a, you know, peer with my with my team to come up with a proposal. 
that I am then going to actually um, uh, approve, right? And so for people who come from kind of a Western uh, business aesthetic, this feels very weird. Um, very rarely does the quote unquote boss come in and help with the proposal that he's then or she's then going to actually, you know, be the the judge for um, kind of this legalistic view of it. In Japan, that's not how it's done. Um, you know, the, the, there's kind of this collaborative element to it. Um, and it's also this idea of, of putting yourself out there. Um, so when you're there during the quote unquote, the work hours, you're putting this really professional face forward, you know, you're, you're, you know, not being overly playful or overly casual. And then after quote unquote, in Japanese, we say after five, you, while still being professional, you're letting your guard down in a measured way so that people can see that you're a human and not just a cog in the industrial machine. Um, and this is especially important for, you know, leaders, right. Who we have to strive to show that we're no, non no nonsense when we have to be no nonsense, but that we're still humans and we, you know, there. And so here's an example. And you'll see Wadasan on the right-hand side, who's, you know, um, longtime CEO of Square Enix, um, waving his hands so, so fast and furiously that he's blurred in this picture and everyone's putting a funny face, you know, and this is just this idea of, of, why? Because, you know, in, in the, in that, you know, dinner, we're trying to, everyone is putting forth an effort to show the, the non workplace side of ourselves. Right. And the, all of these are different facets of ourselves. Um, and it's important to kind of embrace that. Um, I'll give another example at Mitsubishi Corporation, which again was this like business development wing of the Mitsubishi group. Um, we had a long time volunteer program. Um, that's at this point going on, I think 30 plus years. For, for single mother households within Japan are, because for the long time, um, it was a very male dominated workforce. If you are a single mother household, you do not have a male dominated workforce breadwinner. So what are you going to do with that? The culture is not set up for it. And it's, it's a stigma for a long time. And, um, you know, I think they've gotten a lot better, but, you know, 30, 40 years ago was, was a big issue. Um, and this hyper, you know, revenue go make money company would go spend months prepping for this um summer camp that we would throw ourselves along with you know professional oversight whether ymca uh, of tokyo to go take these single mother households and go give them a summer camp um and during that summer camp you know we would spend i mean hours every day after work and work would end at like nine or ten or eleven because it's crazy in japan and we would spend hours after that learning these songs and and, and kind of uh, coming together to create this transcendent um, experience for these kids, obviously free, right? Um, and but during that, we would speak to each other, meaning the 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 Mitsubishi employees in um, in casual language, which is you know very odd uh, for a Japanese company where you are kind of expected to always speak in super polite speak. So there'd be people 30 years my senior who were the managing directors of some business group and we'd be calling each other like nicknames. Everyone has a nickname within within this program. And within the auspice of this project, we were the same. And um, we can talk a little bit later about power distance in Japan. There's perceived power distance, real power distance. You treat your seniors as though there's a high, high difference, even though you don't necessarily believe it, but you know that the, the situation re requires it, except in this case. So that was a really um, a, uh, new experience for me. And I tried to, to apply that a little bit here at Genvid. Um, 
we spent a lot of time together, um, even remotely or in, in person at GenVid. And you know, it's if we're not trying to foster a culture where people show different facets of ourselves, we can kind of like be boxed in with with you know just doing work or just projecting the kind of person we are when accomplishing our work. Um, this is on the left hand side are some examples of of you know when we when we have um, on sites or when we gather together for for work, we'll often do an activity. Again, nothing weird, nothing like absolutely original here. We'll do like, you know, um, like escape room together, et cetera. But then we'll also, you know, dress up and 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 go to dinner, right? Like putting on a little bit of a, something you don't usually get in the, in the video game industry, right? And people don't necessarily dress up. So it's kind of novel. It's the, it's the opposite of casual Fridays. It's dress up Mondays or whatever. Uh, and then when we have um, events within the company, we, we go out of our way to, you know, within people's comfort zones, uh, encourage people to show different facets of themselves, which to each other. Next, Monotsukuri, uh, or artisanal pride. Um, and before I worked for the Square Enix group, I was a fan of the Square Enix group. Um, I grew up with ADD, so I couldn't really finish any of the games, although I played them, but I'd watch games for hours. And I went to probably nine Tokyo game shows before I worked in the industry. Uh, I was, you know, a big fan of the franchise uh, in, in my own special way. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to come into the industry is I wanted to contribute to this, this art form I loved, even though I wasn't necessarily your quintessential player of it. Um, the term onotsukuri in Japanese is this uh, kind of can be translated into artisanal pride. Uh, and it's kind of having this unending desire to contribute to the form, to the medium that surpasses everyone's expectations, um, including your customers. Uh, and it's, you know, and we try to do that here at Genvid. Um, that how we do that is all different in each way, going back to the harmony element. You know, some people when we when we play our games, because we 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 play our miles before we we expect anyone else to to care. Um, you know, game uh, title like Pac-Man Community, you can play alone, you can play with groups, uh, or you can make the mazes. So when we have like internal contests, who can do the best thing? Um, we have all of these categories. Um, who's the best single player? Who's the best? What's the best team? Who made the most interesting maze? Right? Again, basic stuff, but it's a thing we do. Um, but that leads to like really cool kind of artistic or, or um, uh, we didn't have a category for who could come up with the best flair for 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 Genvid, but people kind of are inspired to do these things. You'll see Nika not dropping f bombs, but showing that she's really cool at manicures or, or asking for them on the right hand side. Um, that inspired someone completely different and different. Someone from our Japanese office to start doing their own kind of Genvid flair. Um, these are not, you know, official programs, but this is you know how people internalize uh, and surpass you know expectations and kind of make it themselves. Um, we also, when we we launched Pac-Man Community, um, we we bought everyone a pizza, um, and and the only thing they had to do to to earn the pizza was to send a photo of uh, their Pac-Man pizza or Pizza Pac-Man, uh, and when we got so many different um, you know uh, uh, submissions, um, some people you know the very you know intuitive one, some people made mazes on their on the square pizza, very cool stuff. Um, and again, it's translating um, the medium for themselves. Last, uh, next is, I've got a couple more here, and then I'll open up a Q&A. Uh, I know I have 10 minutes left. Bumiyaku Context. Context is everything. Uh, battles are won and lost in context. This is a picture of Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Disneyland, where the, when, you're on, when you're online, eventually you become part of the ride, and you're entering the context that is the 100 Acre, acre Woods. Um, you know, we're really about 
uh, as leaders being there all the time to help um, share that context, explain that context, but also we we do everything we can to hire and then um, the people who have this mindset and then people and make sure it continues there to have your antenna up to be receptive to to, to looking out for um, context, right? It's really important to have your antenna up and to, to, to work with people who have their antenna up. One of my jobs for a long time was, again, talking about the corporate history of Mitsubishi to a Japanese audience. And so there I am at the Japanese, at the Mitsubishi archives, talking to Mitsubishi Japanese staff about the history of Mitsubishi, right? Why did we do that? Because we realized that it was so instrumental to the kind of business we'd made that, and that when people really had a touch point with it, they felt more connected, right? That's kind of, you know, yeah. Um, we do this all the time at Genvid. We have on-sites, we have off-sites, we have weekly meetings um, where, you know, and we mean this, the leadership puts ourselves out there. Hey, ask me any questions. I'm here for the questions. Ask the questions. Uh, uh, and often um, in big companies, it, it, that's not necessarily the case. In growing companies, you're, you're often so focused on the operational that you don't step aside or you can have a tone. Oh, do you have any questions that doesn't is not receptive to it? When I think, you know, as a leader, I think it's super important to, to embrace questions. And then we try to create a culture around that. Um, Last is uh, challenge station or, or, or kind of challenger spirit. And it's this idea of um, what we're doing is hard. No matter what we're doing, it's hard. Um, and the best way that we found to continuously have motivation to, to continue with the hard thing is to number one, admit that, but also number two, you know, mentally frame that this is a cool thing to do a hard thing and also celebrate our milestones along the way, right? When you walk up Mount Fuji, you don't do it in one step. You have milestones along the way. Every single time you go to a milestone, oh, <laughs> I've gotten a little closer. I've achieved a new thing. We're used to this in terms of game design. Sure, but are, are we doing it with our own companies? How are we celebrating our milestones? You know, when we are in the middle of Times Square with Intel doing a cool um, interactive billboard thing with them, you know, how are we celebrating that as a company? When we're at Comic-Con with Felicia Day and Yvette Nicole Brown and the Skybound uh, team talking about this new thing we're doing, how are we celebrating that within the company? Are we are we just doing it or are we doing it and listening to it, internalizing, is this really cool that we're doing this, right? Um, you know, often we, we don't necessarily enjoy the path along the way and it's a big thing there. Last is Amai, which is positive codependence. And this is the idea of, um, Amai in Japanese is usually thought of as, as, as being dependent upon and depending on others. Um, long story short, we're used to this idea of, of, of being, you know, you're, you're, you're only as good as the, your teammate. And, and, but we know this from, from game design and, and just basic, you know, um, neuroscience that when we help others, we feel better. And so creating a culture where you put yourself out there for other people to help you, and then you are actively helping other people will both foster trust, but more, more importantly, um, help be productive as an organization. And it's a thing we do a lot of. Um, and this is so important when you're not there in person. My business school experience was almost all remote. It's, it's a top two business school in, in Europe. They have a huge campus. My program was one of the longest running um, remote programs. So I went there, but I also did most of my work kind of on Zoom calls in 12 years ago. Right? And this comes in super important in our world today when we're when we can be together, we're together, but when we're not together, we do things remotely 
but we have to push ourselves to be dependent on each other to make ourselves uh, kind of uh, uh, productive as a company. So with that, I'm four minutes over uh, my 50 minute kind of pre Q and A, and I'm ha happy to, to feel any questions. Sorry for being slightly over. Go ahead, Jim. You're, you're good. All right. So what are some of the like smaller practical things that, especially like indie studios that aren't as big and they don't have as many groups and, but at the same time you are wearing a whole lot of hats. Sure. What are some of the, the the smaller things that they can do to bring a bit of this culture into their company? Totally. I think um, ritual is important. Um, and so setting setting up ritual and, and um, you know, one of the things you have in, in big Japanese companies is something called Shade, which is like every morning, and this is kind of like famous in the 70s and 80s, they get up, they sing the company song and, and they, uh, you know, they, they read, you know, the five dogma, you know, like, do you need to do that unless that's up? But but having something that you do to get you in the mindset to to make it a liminal um, transition from one thing to another, I think is super important. But also setting again, some of this is like duh, but like setting meetings and stuff is important. But also, what are the ground rules for the meeting? Um, and making sure that you're you're proactively doing it. Sometimes we overthink things and and we don't want to. Um, do low context explanations of what we, we want to do and how we want to accomplish it because we feel we're overthinking it or being overly formal. And um, while I respect that, I, I think there's a lot to be learned from trying to, to make things a little bit more uh, concrete, right? And so, you know, having a, not just your, your, your kind of operational standups every day, but also having, you know, office hours or, having, you know, giving yourself a reminder to, you know, definitely have a non-work related function with your workmates at some interval, <laughs> right? Uh, to, to kind of design and create ritual because that's, yeah, this is one example of a thing that I think is is definitely something any any company can do. So, I mean, given the current state of, of, of so much remote work and so many teams are fully remote, what are some of those rituals when you can't all get together and do a launch or, or do sing the company song or, or whatever when everybody's you can always sing the company song wherever you are jay um, yeah, well so so um one of the i mean there i mean we're in video games man so you can play video games we we we, we do a lot of stuff at gen I, I won't claim that we're the most proactive when it comes to extracurriculars agenvid right um but i i do within the functions that report to me very much foster this idea of have your business meetings, but also have meetings that aren't necessarily business to get to know people as well. We also have done various game nights and all that kind of stuff as well, which helped. There, there's some good. Um, um, we we did a uh, a good a good activity called Agent Venture. That's kind of like a, a escape room, but for Zoom. Uh, there's a good Dean Takahashi uh, article about Adventure Beat that I'm actually in, but we also fought, we brought that in and did that for the, the entire company where people are working together in groups to do, you know, it's, a, it's an escape room, right? Uh, and so those kind of like team building things remotely are, are, are definitely a doable thing. But but otherwise, it's, it's something as simple as um, if you're a leader and you have a team, um, like make it, make a checklist of saying, I'm going to have a, a, a video call um, with everyone <laughs> every week, depending on how many people you're working with. Uh, don't just do everything with Slack. Don't just do everything with Discord. Don't just, you know, people will interpret everything you're saying in text as yelling, 
even if you put a smiley face at the end of it, right? And so creating rituals or when there is an issue default to let's do this via face-to-face, you know, -face, right? That's the thing that I think is, is super important um, that you can do remote and it's, we do a lot of it. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. We've got our next one coming up. Chris is, I believe you're on the Discord. Are you not, Are you in the Discord? I'm in the process of getting, I'll be in the Discord in a second. I'm okay. not on it right this second, but yeah. So if, if you've got any other questions, there is the post-session chat uh, room that is on the Discord. We are going to bounce away and then reset and come right back. Dan is going to be here with Heather and Tom Biscoglia. Biscoglia? <laughs> So if you have any legal questions, this is your chance. We'll see you in a second. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.